Let's uh, take a moment and pray together, if you would. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for uh, this gathering of your people. I thank you uh, for the time we have uh, together to hear the gospel. Lord, I pray that um, through the preaching of your word, through the singing of these songs together, through communion, through all the ways we respond and the ways we serve one another, everything that we do here today. Lord, I pray that it be a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ to each one of us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us so that we could see it and so that we could hear the good news of Jesus. I pray that you would be exalted this morning. I pray that we would be exalting Jesus Christ, the Son, the Word, the Light. Lord, I pray that you say what you want said, that you'd have us each hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So good morning, everybody. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe you traveled a little bit, ate a lot of food. Some of you are obviously still traveling. You're not here right now, so I don't know who I'm talking to. Um, but hope you uh, did everything you wanted to do. Uh, anybody have a tradition of watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Anybody? Yeah? It's the most boring thing ever. Uh, but for some reason, I continue to do it. And this year, I didn't actually catch it. I was cooking, but I saw a rerun. The most boring thing ever, and they rerun it. So in the afternoon, I'm actually catching the rerun of this boring parade. I'm sure, I'm sure some people think it's absolutely fantastic. I'm not trying to be insulting, but it's not. So anyways, I'm watching the thing, and I catch the end of it. You know, at the end of the parade, Santa rolls into town, right? And it's kind of like the, the official end of the rest of the year, the end of Thanksgiving and the beginning of Christmas. It's the official kickoff of Christmas in America. And, and I'm not mad about it, but it's a reality, right? Christmas is here. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Christmas is here. Many of us are already seeing what we can squeeze out of the time that we have uh, from this season. I've already started Christmas. I actually started a little while before Thanksgiving because uh, Home Alone was on Netflix or whatever. It was on my on one of the things. So I watched that and I watched some other Christmas movies. And I put my tree up with my kids and my family last week. Um, and we watched Elf together in Elf pajamas. I mean, we've, we've already kicked it into gear before Thanksgiving ever got here. And I know some of you have already decorated too. I got several text messages last night with pictures of different people's trees. What does a great Christmas look like to you? We all have our different things. Is it doing all the traditions? like getting the house decorated, spending time with your family, maybe buying the perfect tree, buying the perfect gift for someone you love, maybe getting the perfect gift, listening to your favorite Christmas music, your favorite Christmas albums, cooking, maybe eating and drinking all the things that come out of this season that you don't get the rest of the year. What's your favorite part? We all like all this stuff, right? But we also know that there's more. I mean, we're at church this morning. You're at church. We know what Christmas is really about, and it's about Jesus coming, right? It's about God with us, and it's about restoration. It's about hope. So over the next four Sundays at Redemption, uh, we're going to spend some time together in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. You can actually turn there if you want to. We're going to start reading from there in a little bit. But we're going to spend the next four Sundays in the Gospel of John, and here's why we're going to spend our time there. See, at Christmas... We're celebrating and remembering the birth of Jesus, God with us, the Son of God, and we're looking forward to His second coming, the second advent of Christ. 
But I, I think that because of the way we celebrate Christmas, especially in our culture, um, because it's such a big holiday, uh, that, that, that if we focus on Jesus at all, uh, it, it's mostly focused just on the nativity scene, right? I mean, that's what Christmas is. Uh, and so it's just a big holiday that we celebrate really big. And if we even think of Jesus, it's kind of at the nativity scene. And I think that that's because, like, our concept, and I think it's because of that, because of how we celebrate so big and we just get the, the nativity scene part of Jesus. Um, I think because of that, our concept of Jesus, like, that we have inside of us um, often starts at the nativity. And that, I think, makes it easy for us to sort of like wrap Jesus up and place Jesus within like human history, to place him within our history, to even make him like in our story and to even make him just a supporting character in our story. The other night I went out looking for a nativity set um, and Claire recommended a store called Tuesday Mornings. Uh, so I went there and I walked in. They had a ton of Christmas stuff out, decorations everywhere. They had like those little wooden windmill things. I don't know what that's about. I don't even know why that's a Christmas thing. Then there's advent calendars, obviously a ton of Santa Claus memorabilia, um, Frosty the Snowman, uh, snowflakes, all, all the things, just Christmas everywhere. But it took me quite a while to like go through the aisles and find the solitary nativity scene that they had. Right? And... In the end, it wasn't the one that I wanted, so I left it alone there on a shelf, kind of hiding amongst the Christmas things, and then I went to another store. I went to Michael's. It's a craft store. It's one of my favorite stores. That's a joke. Uh, They had even more Christmas stuff, uh, just like aisles and aisles of Christmas. There's villages, wreaths. You get the picture. It just goes on and on and on, and there was not one nativity scene in Michael's, not one baby Jesus. So then I went across the street to Hobby Lobby, right? Still on the tour of my favorite stores. And I'm thinking, hey, I think, I think Hobby Lobby has a Christian connection somewhere up the chain there. So I'm going to find a nativity at this place. And I walk in, and Hobby Lobby, like, Hobby Lobby has the most Christmas, right? I mean, there's like 50 aisles of Christmas goods, right? Things that I could not even imagine that you would want or need. Uh, just tons and tons of aisles, and there's just so much stuff I can't even get into it. And I walk through all the aisles, I'm looking everywhere, and finally I get to like the second to the last aisle near the back at the edge of the store, and tucked at the end of the shelf is a section of nativity sets. It wasn't big, but they did have a few. And in the end, I was just a little disappointed with the, the whole experience. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox about this. I, I love all the Christmas stuff. Right, and you're either into the nativity thing or you're aunt or you aren't. I don't really care if you have a baby Jesus in your house or if you don't. Um, but it is true, I think, and it kind of demonstrates it's true that among all these Christmas decorations, the nativity seems like tucked in the corner. It's just a nod to Jesus amongst all the stuff we do with our celebration that we're having. Right. So even in this holiday that's about him, I think we've sort of made him a supporting character in our own celebration and in our own story. And this is why I like the Gospel of John and why I want us to spend some time here over Christmas. John goes further than the nativity. He isn't just framing Jesus within human history from the nativity scene to Easter. John frames the person of Jesus from the beginning of all things and from eternity. And it kind of forces Jesus out of any quarters 
corners that we've had them like tucked away in. Look, I think that we want to get the most out of this beloved season. And we know the time's already ticking away, it's getting away from us. But I think our bigger issue isn't the time we have so much as it is, as it is the need to see things as they really are. The need to see Jesus as he really is. And so I'm hopeful John 1 clues us in on his story. That it helps break us out of our own thing and helps move Jesus from like a supporting character in our story to the hero of his story. And I'm hopeful that as we move through this series that we will even be able to see and to celebrate the reality of our role in his story. So with that said, let's read John 1, 1 through 5. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I got to tell you up front, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I don't think that there's another passage in Scripture that has consumed more of my my headspace and my heart uh, over the years. I absolutely love what John is saying about who Jesus really is in this chapter. It blows my mind over and over and over again. I just want to read those first three verses again. It says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, we could flip back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You get where it's going? If the Word, if That's who John is calling Jesus, the Word. If the Word, if Jesus is God and He created all things and nothing was created without Him that was made, then we got to see that John just guided us to see that Jesus is in the first line of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And who did He do it through but through Jesus Christ? Now, The first thing that Genesis says that God created was light, and that could uh, maybe cause some confusion because John calls Jesus a light, like even in this passage we just read. But lest there be any confusion, any thought that Jesus was like created, a created being, John puts Jesus on the first line of Scripture. He's God. He always has been God. He is in communion with God from eternity. And not only was Jesus there at the dawn of creation, Jesus himself created everything that there is. See, John is very intentionally taking us, taking the reader back to Genesis, which I think for us may already hopefully start blowing up any ideas in our head about the origins of Jesus being in a nativity or in a lowly manger. Like he certainly came there. Jesus became flesh, but that's hardly the beginning of Jesus, who in fact has no beginning. But when John refers to Jesus as the Word here, 
His Jewish audience would have been on board with what he was talking about, at least at first. See, the Word of God or the will of God in, in a Jewish understanding was often personified. In the Proverbs, Proverbs, we see wisdom personified as a woman. Jewish people would have been, uh, would, would even have seen like word, will, wisdom as something divine, but something that was created and separate from God. So the word being like personified in the person of Jesus wouldn't have been a problem at first when they heard this. But when John goes on to say that Jesus is the word and that he was not only there and with God in the beginning, but that he was God, he's starting to blow the lid off some stuff for his, Jew- his Jewish hearers. Like Jesus isn't somebody used by God. Jesus isn't somebody just used by God. He isn't just a personification or something divine that God created apart from himself. John is very intentionally putting Jesus on the first line of Scripture. He's blowing up some boxes. I think for his Jewish readers and for us as well, he's letting us all in on the fact that Jesus is the eternal God himself. Jesus is the eternal God himself. That's who he is. Now back in Genesis 1-3, when we start getting some details about how God created the heavens and the earth, it says this, it said, it says, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be light. And in John 1, we see Jesus, the creator himself, is called the Word. The Word. This has always struck me, right? Like God spoke creation into existence, that he created everything with words. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he build it with his God hands? Why not use his breath? Why not just think it into existence? Because God is saying something. God is saying something. And when he speaks and when he says something, like his words come out, they have dimension, they have texture, they have color, and they have purpose, and they actually literally come to life. And John goes even further, he says even more, that actually when God speaks, his words, his word is Christ. That this Jesus that we know from the manger is actually the word of God that created everything that has ever existed in order to perfectly express the heart of God. Jesus is the word. That means that Jesus is the definition of what God is saying. God is saying something. Jesus is the definition of what God is saying. And Jesus' words take actual physical shape. And they make a grand story in order to say what God wants said. So we should be clued in here at this point. This is all God's story. This is all God's story. Everything that we know, it's God's story. It's coming through Christ. And we are supporting characters in it, made in and through the person and the work of Jesus. You know, we actually say that phrase a lot around here, like seeing God or knowing the good news in and through the person and work of Jesus. I want us to, like, let this passage bust that phrase out of the confines 
of Jesus' time on earth and his human body. Like, let it break out of the 30 years between his birth and death and resurrection and ascension. Like, when we hear the person and work of Jesus, think eternal. Think from forever. He is from eternity and into eternity, and it is in and through him that we live and we move and we have our being. Paul says that in Acts chapter 17. This is all God's story. It's alive in and through the word of Jesus Christ. So God speaks, and he's saying something, and he's telling his story. And through the word, he's saying something in all of creation. So what is he saying? John 1.1 says that the word was God. The word was God. And by referring to Jesus as the Word, John doesn't just let us know that Jesus is God, but as words let us in on the thoughts of an author, so Jesus himself is making known the thoughts of God. Like I often think of the Trinity in these terms. The author is the Father whose thoughts are being expressed. The Word is the Son who articulates and defines the thoughts. The, The Spirit is the voice who makes the words known. John Calvin wrote this. He said, speech is said to be among men the image of the mind. So it's not inappropriate to apply this to God and say that he reveals himself to us by his word, by Jesus. So if we want to know what God is saying when he speaks creation into existence, we can look to Jesus, the word, who makes the thoughts of the author known. In Colossians 1.15, Paul says, That Christ is the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Hebrews 1.3. See, when we look to Jesus, then we understand what God is saying. He's communicating himself. He's saying something about himself to us. He's the image of the invisible God. So God is expressing what he is like in Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God. So God is glorious. He's the most glorious. He's the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is letting us in on who God is and what he is really like. And I'd go further than that and say that this isn't just being said to us. God's not just saying something to us, but it is ultimately something God is even expressing to himself. I mean, God is a lover of God because God is most high. He's most lovely. He's the most glorious. For God to love anything else more than himself would be idolatry. And he holds himself above all else because he's the only one worthy of being held above all else. And if you've ever fallen in love, you have a glimpse into what's going on here then, and what God is saying and why he's saying it. Like when Claire and I were young and we were falling in love in high school, we'd write notes to each other, right? And it'd be filled with all kinds of mushy stuff, like you're the most beautiful and, and you're the sweetest and you complete me, right? And roses are red and violets are blue. The best person in the world is you. Things like that. I don't know if I, I didn't write that, but... We just write all kinds of nonsense to each other, right? Because we're madly in love. 
And we'd, we'd stay on the phone for hours, like back when we had phones with cords on them and we had to stay in our bedroom. We'd stay on the phone for hours doing the same thing, like just expressing our love for each other. And we still say, I love you, and I bring her flowers from time to time and stuff like that. But if you've been where you're falling in love, you know what I'm talking about. You have to express it. Like you can't hold it in. You have to express it. And just as you may have written uh, love notes to the one you love, or maybe you're still doing that sort of thing, or just as you and I pray and we sing and we speak words that declare our love and praise for Jesus as we've already been doing this morning, just as we do that, so creation is God's expression of love and praise for himself. This is what God was saying, and it's still being said. This is a story that God is telling himself and to all that he's made. And the story's not about us, and he won't fit in as a supporting character or into our own little personal stories because we are part of his story, which is an outpouring of his love for himself. It is God's word expressing back to God. Look how loving you are, God. Look just... Look how just you are, God. Look how sovereign you are, God. Look how powerful you are. Look how creative you are. Look how great you are and how good you are. Look how glorious you are. Look how gracious you are. That's what creation is saying. And John is helping us see that Jesus is the eternal God himself, telling God's story to glorify him in all things. Jesus is the eternal God expressing praise to God in and through all of creation. That means all of us too. So what do we do with this? We read the last two verses of today's passage again. 1 John 1, 4 through 5. John continues, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. You know, in ancient Jewish culture, or, uh, or even really like ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, they didn't think of things having their beginning necessarily like when they became a physical thing. That's not when they actually started. They, they thought of things having their beginning when they were actually given a name, like when they were actually given a purpose. So again, John takes us back to Genesis here in these verses, like back to the beginning, Back to where we see that the world was without form and, with, and, and, and void. And he takes us back to where God speaks and says, let there be light. And the word began to fill the earth, to give it form, to give it purpose. And John, by taking us back to the beginning, is make, making a connection here for us. He's saying that Jesus created everything. And everything has a beginning. And he created you, and you have a beginning. And you were made for a purpose. And what Christ is about, you are about. What Christ is about, you are about. You, unlike Christ, have a beginning, and it comes from Jesus. And your purpose, your name, your story, it plugs into his purpose and into his story. And it's not the other way around. We live in a culture that believes that we all have like our own truth, right? That we each have our own story to live out and to be true to. 
but I don't want you to believe that. That's an unpopular opinion. That's an unpopular thing to say. But I don't want you to believe that. Because if we understand and believe what John is saying rightly, then there's no way we are the sinner and ultimate fact and reality of any story. We are not from eternity. We have a beginning. We do not exist on our own. We don't create our own truth. Our life comes from Christ, the Word of God, for the purpose of expressing God's glory in all creation. That's our truth. Everything else is fiction. Like I said earlier, our concept of Jesus, it often starts at the nativity, I think, and that makes it easy for us to kind of place God within our own story, make him a supporting character in our thing. But John goes further. John frames the person of Jesus from the beginning and from eternity. And I think it should clue us in on his story and the reality of our role in it. You and I were made to live in the light of Christ. So that he would shine in and through you and in and through us together. Mirroring mirroring God's glory towards creation and ultimately back to him. A life lived in the light of of God's story, understood to be a word of praise, lived out and articulated to God's glory in and through Jesus. That's a life of purpose and meaning and belonging. A life towards some other truth isn't truly life at all. It's a lie. It doesn't give or receive true life, and it leads to mediocrity and no purpose, isolation, and ultimately death. So listen, as we, uh, we jump into this season of Advent, if you want to make the most of it, if you want to make the most of this life, here's what I want you to hear from John 1 this morning. Make knowing Jesus for who he really is your very first priority. Make knowing Jesus for who he really is your very first priority. Like, Don't be rushed into this season that promises like warm fuzzies and happy memories at the cost of squeezing Jesus out. If this is all about God and everything that was created was meant to say something about and back to God in and through the person and work of Jesus, then slow down enough in this season to consider that reality. And slow down enough to ask prayerfully, prayerfully, whether you're truly living from the reality of God's story or are you rather trying to fit God into yours? It's okay to be honest about that. He's gracious. Slow down. Exalt Christ who is and was and will be forevermore. He's the exact imprint of God. He's the radiance of His glory, the image of the invisible. Exalt Jesus this season who came to the manger, the word made flesh, but didn't find his beginning there because he has no beginning and he has no end. May we exalt Jesus, the eternal God who made everything to exalt him. And may we find joy and satisfaction in him alone. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week. And we're going to do a few things and the band's going to lead us through this time and they'll come and uh, we'll take communion. You can come down either one of these aisles. Uh, you can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. The bread is representative of the body of Christ that was given for us. The, 
wine and the juice is representative of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And when we do this, we are proclaiming Jesus to one another, proclaiming the real Jesus to each other, saying he is who he says he is, he's done, who he said, he's done what he said he would do, and he's my Lord and Savior. And as we proclaim that truth to one another, we're remembering. We're remembering Jesus for who he really is. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of this church or not, we would invite you to come and to take, eat, and drink, and proclaim and remember Christ together. Also during this time, you can give your, your tithes and offerings. There's a basket in the back. There's other ways to give. There's instructions back there. And you can put your offerings there as well. And then also, the band will lead us in a time of singing where we can exalt our God together, to exalt Jesus together as we've already been doing this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the word. He says such great things about you in all of creation. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to see it. I pray that you open our eyes to see him. Help us to make much of him this morning. Help us to make much of him in this season. Help us to make much of Jesus uh, in our life. And may it be a word of praise and worship to you, God. You are who you say you are. You do what you say you would do. You are from eternity. You live into eternity. You give us life and joy and satisfaction. I pray, Lord, that we would live in that and that we would glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.